the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. And here we are. Thank you for joining us tonight for The Bible Live. We're continuing through the book of Acts, this remarkable book of transition between the life of Jesus the Messiah himself and the birth of the church, ecclesia, the gathering. Very simple words, right? Uh, The gathering of those who recognize God having sent His only begotten Son to the world to give His life in substitutionary atonement for the sins of mankind. And by placing our faith and trust in Him, we can come into a relationship with God, much like what Jesus had. All that was true of Jesus, now it becomes true of us. We are identified with His life, with His death, and His resurrection. We are saved by His death in the sense that we are delivered from the penalty of our sins, and we are saved by His life, as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, because it is His life now that flows within us. The Spirit of God working and living within us, changing and transforming our lives, causing us to be what we already are. Positionally, legally, by Christ's death, by his atoning life and death, we have been declared to be innocent, to be not guilty. We are declared to be perfectly righteous and holy before our God. Remember that commandment of the Old Testament, you must be holy as I am holy. Well, that is what God has accomplished through the work of Messiah. He has made us to be holy. Now, by the work of his Holy Spirit within us, we are becoming in our daily experience what we've already been declared to be positionally. We're getting to see the very birth of this new reality in the lives of human beings in the book of Acts. We're going to start out in chapter 9. We've already read the first part of the conversion of this Pharisee named Saul, and now he will become the great missionary Paul of the first century. Right now, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment in the Proverbs chapter 13 on the Bible line. Proverbs 13, 13 through 25. 
People who despise advice will find themselves in trouble. Those who respect it will succeed. The advice of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. A person with good sense is respected. A treacherous person walks a rocky road. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't and even brag about it. An unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept criticism, you will be honored. It is pleasant to see dreams come true, but fools will not turn from evil to attain them. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Whoever walks with fools will suffer harm. Trouble chases sinners, while blessings chase the righteous. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. A poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice sweeps it all away. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline them. The godly eat to their heart's content, but the belly of the wicked goes hungry. End of reading, Proverbs 13, 13 through 25. We stand and lift up our hands, for the joy of the Lord is You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. We bow down and worship Him now, how great, how awesome is He. You're listening to the Bible Live, and we have just heard a great portion from Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. There's some really, really nice verses there for our edification. And some of them are a little funny. That If you get to thinking about them, you'll chuckle a bit. Now we move to our narrative reading for the night in the book of Acts. Stephen has been martyred. Stephen has been stoned to death. He was one of the seven deacons that were chosen to be servants. The word deacon has the idea of just simply a servant. He is there with these seven men to serve the Christian church there in Jerusalem, trying to take care of the aged, the widows, the orphans, and so on. He was one chosen to help them with their meals. He got arrested and turned out to be a powerful preacher as well. And the one who supervised or led in this effort of stoning him to death was a man named Saul. Now, Saul has had his own encounter with Jesus, the Messiah, has come to faith in Christ. Now we'll see him begin to grow as the church takes him in, as the church begins to disciple and help Saul to grow. He becomes the great missionary Paul, who wrote a number of the books that we'll be reading in just a few weeks as we make our way through the rest of the New Testament. So let's go now to Acts chapter 9. A believer has been called upon to go out and take care of Saul and disciple him. The Bible Acts Life. 9, 10 through 11, 18. Acts 9. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. 
The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judah. When you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And we hear that he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest every believer in Damascus. But the Lord said, Go and do what I say. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for me. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and was strengthened. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him, but Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They thought he was only pretending to be a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. Barnabas also told them what the Lord had said to Saul and how he boldly preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Then the apostles accepted Saul, and after that he was constantly with them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they plotted to murder him. When the believers heard about it, however, they took him to Caesarea and sent him on to his hometown of Tarsus. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it grew in strength and numbers. The believers were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Peter traveled from place to place to visit the believers, and in his travels he came to the Lord's people in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord when they saw Aeneas walking around. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her friends prepared her for burial and laid her in an upstairs room. But they had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other garments Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. 
When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he showed them that she was alive. The news raced through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a leather worker. Acts 10 In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man who feared the God of Israel, as did his entire household. He gave generously to charity and was a man who regularly prayed to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? he asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have not gone unnoticed by God. Now send some men down to Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a leather worker who lives near the shore. Ask him to come and visit you. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the city, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry, but while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Never, Lord, Peter declared. I have never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was pulled up again to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found the house and stood outside at the gate. They asked if this was the place where Simon Peter was staying. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Go down and go with them without hesitation. All is well, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout man who fears the God of Israel and is well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to send for you so you can go to his house and give him a message. So Peter invited the men to be his guest for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some other believers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for him and had called together his relatives and close friends to meet Peter. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell to the floor before him in worship. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up! I am a human being like you. So Cornelius got up, and they talked together and went inside where the others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against the Jewish laws for me to come into a Gentile home like this, but God has shown me that I should never think of anyone as impure. So I came as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house at three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send some men to Joppa and summon Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a leather worker who lives near the shore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. 
Now here we are, waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God doesn't show partiality. In every nation, He accepts those who fear Him and do what is right. I'm sure you have heard about the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened all through Judea, beginning in Galilee after John the Baptist began preaching. And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Israel and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by crucifying him, but God raised him to life three days later. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen beforehand to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is ordained of God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who had heard the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles too. And there could be no doubt about it, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Acts 11. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of the Lord. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, some of the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. One day in Joppa, he said, while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of small animals, wild animals, reptiles, and birds that we are not allowed to eat. And I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Never, Lord, I replied. I have never eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. But the voice from heaven came again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where I was staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry about their being Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon arrived at the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, Send messengers to Joppa to find Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and all your household will be saved. Well, I began telling them the good news. But just as I was getting started, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to argue? When the others heard this, all their objections were answered, and they began praising God.
They said God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of turning from sin and receiving eternal life. End of reading, Acts 9:10 through 11:18. The Messiah has come. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Dr. Luke is writing this book, and he has a very clear theme and outline given to us by Jesus himself in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That happens in Acts chapter 2 and all through the book of Acts. This new way of dealing with his people is being inaugurated into the people of God here on earth. Jews and then later Gentiles, people from all different backgrounds, those who trust in him receive this precious gift. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell with them and escort them to glory. And then he says, as a result of that, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, concentric circles going out from Jerusalem. Well, they didn't do it. They didn't follow his directions. They were staying right there in Jerusalem. They weren't going anywhere. So God takes Saul of Tarsus, this very committed, zealous Pharisee, and he uses him to accomplish his purposes. Even before his conversion, it's the persecution brought about by Saul and the Jewish leaders that caused the Christians to finally leave Jerusalem and go on to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. God is using Saul even before his conversion, but of course even more so afterwards. Ananias, this believer from Damascus, it has to be really faithful because God calls him. He says, go out and get Saul, baptize him, and help him grow in his faith. Ananias didn't want to have anything to do with that. He had heard about this song, but he did it. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you and obey you. And he got to be involved in the discipleship of perhaps the greatest missionary in church history. Ananias goes out. He lays his hands on Brother Saul, he calls him. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, he knew about that, sent me to help you regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul stays there with the believers for a few days, and he begins to preach about Jesus, the Messiah. If you want to bear a powerful witness, some people say the talk is the important thing. You've got to learn how to share your faith, and you've got to talk about Jesus and explain the gospel. Other people say, no, it's not so important to talk. You've got to live it. Let your life be your testimony. And an airplane, as we know, takes two wings, both wings, to fly. Paul had both. He had irrefutable arguments. He could clearly express and clearly explain the gospel to people. And he had that powerful testimony, too, of his life that had been transformed. Saul is really a genuine seeker after God, at least sincerely rejecting Jesus because he didn't think it was the truth. Paul was already sincerely in prayer. Now, after his conversion, between verse 22 and 26, Acts chapter 9, it's not mentioned here. It goes straight from the time he's in Damascus. They plot to kill him. But then it says in verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. Well, that's three years later. Three years have passed between verse 22 and 26. Paul goes from Damascus out into the Arabian desert for three years. We're told that in the book of Galatians chapter 1. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. This is Paul explaining his conversion experience to the Galatians. He said, When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings, nor did I go immediately up to Jerusalem to consult with the other apostles. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. 
So there is a three-year period here where Paul goes out into the Arabian desert to think through and reevaluate everything he had ever learned. Now, this is a very learned individual. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the best educations of that time available there in Israel. He knew the scriptures, clearly had his theological ducks in a row, but something came in and just blew his ducks to smithereens, we might say, and all of a sudden he's got to reevaluate everything he ever thought he knew about the scriptures, about God, about reality, about his own life. What a process that must have been. But all of us go through that in some way. When you give your life to Christ, it's the beginning of this incredible journey, realizing more and more every day the new truth, the new reality in which we live. It's always been there, but we just haven't been walking in it. Saul, now known as Paul, his Roman name, he has thought through all of his life, seeing the whole scheme of things, the whole plan of God, as he had never seen it before and understood it before. What an incredible mind-opening experience that must have been. But look, folks, we have his experience to build on. God has called his word to be written and to be passed to us faithfully and correctly and accurately. We start off as believers with this tremendous record and this wonderful explanation of God's dealings with all of humanity through all of history, calling out a people for himself. Even before he was a believer, Saul was made to serve God's purposes. He was the one God used to cause the believers to move on out of Jerusalem and go on to Judah and Samaria. Another detail. Did you notice what he said to Ananias about Paul? He said, I have chosen this instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Listen, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. All who call upon the Lord will suffer because we're going to live in conflict with this world. We're going to live in conflict with our old sinful nature. We're going to live in conflict with spiritual forces that work against us and plot against us. I wonder if Cornelius, this Roman army officer, I wonder if he might have been that officer that Jesus said had greater faith than anybody he had ever met in Israel. Remember the guy who said, you don't have to come to my house, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. I wonder if that might have been Cornelius. There's no basis for it, but I still wonder. So much happening here, so many different groups. You've got the Roman authorities, you have the traditional Jewish authorities. Remember now that many in the Sanhedrin are Roman-placed leaders for the people of Israel. Annas is Caiaphas' son-in-law, whom the Romans have forced upon the Israelite people there in Jerusalem. And then you have the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews that are spoken of here in tonight's passage. Many of the Jews were apostate Jews. They had left off the practice of the traditional faith of their fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were under the influence of Hellenistic Greek mythologies and so on. And right in the middle of all of this hunger and all of this spiritual information comes the truth. God steps in and speaks and acts to carry out his work of redemption. And the now Bible we'll see it re- resonate on through the culture. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall Hawk Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. 
start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.